Hello humans of triathlon and welcome to the hot podcast where we bring you the ordinary but extraordinary world of triathlon one human one story at a time with the aim to inspire and to celebrate this life-changing sport and its humans through real authentic raw and enjoyable conversations with triathletes from all around the globe and from all walks of life I'm Swapnil Chauhan here with my co-host Charles Hunk and Radmom Robin along with an amazing guest Welcome to another exciting episode of my, of your, of his, of her, of our Humans of Triathlon Hot Podcast. Today we bring you fantastic guests. This is a story that begins with a girl who's, you know, like barely hustling around in high school sports here and there, but even suffering from a debilitating eating disorder for a very long time into her late 20s. She was actually legally dead, not only once, but twice. But after this long, dark period in her life, and whilst on the road to full recovery, you know, like she decided to run a marathon to raise money for the impatience facility that saved her life. If she crossed that line, it would be a celebration of her recovery. When she started training, she obviously had no money raised, and she could barely run a quarter of a mile. On race day, she managed to raise $5,000 and crossed that finish line in an astounding 3-hour, 42-minute finish. Wow. So most of us, you know, got into the sport from a local event, uh, you know, that sounded interesting, or a friend who invited us to join this one-off thing. There's always a spark. But there's nothing like actually having a five-time Ironman World Championship Kona qualifying father. I mean, my friends, there's no escaping from such a thing. After swearing in her own words, I would never do such a dumb, crazy, time-consuming sport. Today, she's a number of Ironman 70.3 World Championship qualifications under her belt and currently pitching an adventure racing TV show. And that's not all. We've got a surprise for all of you today. We're doing one of those things that made talk shows like Ellen, Oprah, or Dr. Phil, famous worldwide. Famous races you can remember like, here he is, your father you have never seen in 20 years. Come on in to the show, please. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> guest, her five-time Kona qualifying father is here with us tonight as well. So please welcome Lindsay and Guy Berkebile. Hi. Hello. Hey, <laughs> It's such an honor to both be on this uh, podcast together and actually really fun to do it with my dad since um, he's obviously been the biggest part of the reason of why I got into triathlon and athletics to begin with. Yeah, we're glad to have both of you on. And, you know, you, I, you sent me a story and I read it and I saw that your dad was a five-time Ironman. Then I'm like, you know what, why don't we just get the both of them on together because you know that would definitely make for an interesting conversation so thank you both for joining us you're welcome thank you for having us yeah thank you for the invite all right so guy um would love to hear from you first you know you've been in the sport for a number of years now and you're still racing am i correct i am i, I, I just raced this afternoon oh awesome okay <laughs> so tell us what got you into the sport all those years ago 
Uh, well, I started off, I was a wrestler and a, and a runner in high school and, and then got into the, the bicycle racing after college. But this, this goes way back into the, uh, the early days of triathloning when it was a new sport. Uh, we had a, a uh, summer fest, a festival in town that raises money for our, our arts facility. And they had a 5K running race in the morning. And they had a bicycle race from Berlin, Pennsylvania to Somerset, Pennsylvania at four o'clock in the afternoon. So with triathloning being a, you know, a brand new sport, the, the race director, the same guy directed both of these races. So he had this terrific idea of let's throw in a swim at noon at the high school pool and we'll have ourselves a triathlon. Somebody can run at five o'clock in the morning. You can swim at noon and then you can bike at four o'clock. Do you, do you have any idea how hard it is to do <laughs> each of those sports hard with hours of, of cooling off in between? You, you would hit the water. You were one big, one big cramp. Exactly. Oh That's why the swims not last ever, I think. <laughs> yeah. so, so, so that's how I ended up getting into uh, to triathloning. So was Lindsay around at the time? or No, Lindsay was, no. was not conceived at that time. Just, okay. that, that was like 19, 1981. Uh-huh. So seven years before she was born. Okay. Way back. Yeah, man. <laughs> I actually didn't realize it was that long ago. Yeah. I'm guessing that race didn't last that long. <laughs> It did not. <laughs> I think the early days of triathlon were a lot less, um, like now the race distances and stuff have all kind of coalesced. But back then it was sort of the race directors sort of made it up as they went along. Yeah. It, you know, I, it, it's really cool having Lindsay, you know, interested in, in doing these sports as well. But, uh, you know, I, I was a pretty good runner back in my younger days. But um, whenever I did marathons, there was nothing on the course but water. So you had to run the entire marathon, you know, with without nutrition. You know, that's how we did it. That's why there was the traditional uh, um, hitting the wall at mile 22. <laughs> I can't even imagine. <laughs> one of the first Ironman I, I knew, uh, one of the first Ironman I knew taped uh, Tootsie Pops to his bike. And he would just untape one and then crunch it up. And that was like goo. I used to eat raw potatoes. <laughs> Ew. Uh, Isn't that toxic or something? I, 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 would, I put salt on them and make them oh, all no. and, and, and put them, you know, kind of, kind of cut them into like French fries, but they were raw French fries. <laughs> so you open up the bag and you'd have these, these crispy, salty, uh, carb, <laughs> carb uh, potatoes. There was a girl in Ironman, Florida, who had Kentucky Fried mashed potatoes in pastry tubes on her bike, and I almost mugged her for them after you know twenty five goos. That sounded so amazing. That sounds delicious. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that brilliant? I was like, that is brilliant. That, but hey, I mean, it's kind of full circle. Like now, now we're kind of coming back to real foods and raw foods for nutrition again. You know, even goo. You know, there's certain companies that are coming out that it's just mashed up fruit it's kind of just coming around full circle i feel like in the athletic world <laughs> pretty soon we'll just tape blueberries to our bike or something yeah. <laughs> i do have to interject something quickly about the personality differences of my children in <laughs> in high school garrett our son was a dedicated athlete 
Lindsay, not so much. And now, yes, Lindsay, now, what, what did you think of, like, when you were old enough to understand what your dad was doing, what do you think of him at the time? Oh, actually, this is this is kind of amazing. And it wasn't even me being young. I, whenever I was a teenager, um, and even a little bit into college, I remember, like, going to see him for races. And, of course, I'm going to support him and cheer him on. But I thought it was the stupidest thing. Like, and I think I was just an angsty teenager that was mad that we couldn't have a real vacation. That like, <laughs> wasn't a race. Like, I kept asking my parents, like, can we not do an adventure, like, you know, vacation? Can we just lay on the beach? Like, I don't want to just go and watch my dad, like, kill himself running around in circles. Like, and I remember watching his Ironman in Arizona. And, you know, I, it was... Then it was a complete different reaction than it was now. I was watching people on the run just dying. And I'm like, this isn't even healthy. I'm like, why? Like, I could not fathom why anyone would do this. But I mean, it was my dad's thing. So of course, I was going to support him. But um, it wasn't until later, um, really what happened for me was I had to do like my own kind of journey on my, you know, completely separate where I learned to love to run without like a coach yelling at you or without someone telling you that you had to do this workout. Like I, in college, I just started running and just by nature, I was like, Oh my gosh, I can run a little longer now. And that's kind of cool. And, you know, and I just kind of kept going. Um, and then, you know, I had a different purpose for athletics and I learned to love it. Um, and then really once, once I decided to run that marathon for charity and to celebrate my recovery, um, during the race, I was, and I'm, I'm notorious for this. I was smiling the whole time. Like it was just, I got it. I finally understood, you know? And I was like, I understand why this is such a big part of my dad's life. And I want this. And, um, it really solidified it whenever I went to go see him perform, uh, I mean, race in Kona. Dad, do you know what year it was? Um, I think it was your first Kona, maybe? 2009. Oh no, it was the second one then. Oh, no. No, no, no. It was the first one. It was 2009. I was still in college. Um, being at Kona, which, I mean, any athlete who has ever been at Kona can, you know, it was, I, I understood it more. I wasn't a triathlete yet. Like, I was running, you know, half marathons and marathons. But being there and being a part of the, of the immersion in the culture and just watching that finish line, I wanted it. Like I wanted it as well. And it made sense for me because I was a swimmer um, and a runner and I just had to learn to cycle. And with my dad being like a cycling beast, I figured I had all the tools that I needed to figure out um, how to bring it into my life as well. So actually, actually, it's kind of a funny story. I remember whenever I told him I wanted to do a half Ironman, I told him during Thanksgiving. And I think Within 24 hours, he had me signed up for coaching and like races and like looking up for like kids. Like, he was like, okay, so this, this, and this. And I, I wasn't quite ready. And I was like, ah, oh, okay, I guess I'm really doing this. Like, I just mentioned it, but okay. Like, kind <laughs> <laughs> of just threw me in there. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Is that when your legendary Christmas challenge was born? Oh, I think you guys you guys posted some kind of uh, bike bike off Christmas challenge or holiday challenge or something, a video that was really cute. Oh, oh yeah! Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> in the in the iron room, I I have a an addition I built onto my house that has a. Uh, uh, you, you're going to think I'm really overboard now, but I have an endless pool 
Um, I have four compu trainers and a treadmill in there. So, <laughs> okay, so, everybody is officially jealous now. Yeah. Dude, I'm jealous. And I didn't yeah. come home. But I live on I live in LA and he lives in a small town outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania called Somerset. Um so it's funny, I feel like my holidays are so different from everyone else's, but I love it. It's like my dad and I just train together every day and I get to use the iron room every day and you know, it's like I lose weight over the holidays, and then I come home. <laughs> her her uh, last visit home, she hopped in for a. Uh, I, I ride from Somerset to Penn State, which is 112 miles, an Ironman distance. So uh, she hopped in there for for half the distance, which is great to have one of my children, you know, able to to jump in there and, and do an endurance sport like that with me. Yeah. So earlier, were you trying to? You know, did you push her to do any sports of any kind or was it more if she wants to do it, she could? And if not, that's fine too. Or did you like know that by looking at you eventually she would get herself into it? Uh, I did not know that. It, it depends on whether you ask me or Lindsay. Yeah, I was say, I think we have different answers. <laughs> Let's hear both. My, my, opinion, my opinion is that I did not push them. You know, I, I wanted them to do sports, but I did not push them into distance running, uh, both Lindsay and my son feel like I think that that they had no choice, but they were driven into distance running, and and that was the end of the of the sentence. Um, I actually no, I actually agree. No, I, I agree with you. Um, I think it wasn't because I mean I I found swimming on my own um, mostly because um, I was actually well. Uh, this is going to get into too much, but I was in leg braces as a little kid. Because uh, I had Perthes leg um, leg calf disease that caused me to wear leg braces, and um, I was put in a lot of swimming classes because um, it's like good for the joints and um, and for my recovery of you know the, my disease um, at the time. Um, but the swim instructors were you know saying how good I was and that they should put me in swim team. You know, they're like, she's kind of naturally talented. Um, so I started swimming competitively, kept competitively whenever I was eight. So that was kind of fun for me because I had a sport that at the time was different from my dad because I felt like there was a expectation, you know, like my dad was actually a coach for track and um, like a assistant coach for like cross country. And, um, you know, whether, you know, whether I really like to admit it or not, there was kind of that like, oh, well, your guy's daughter, they kind of expected me to be really good. But I didn't really have the drive to be good. I just wanted to like, run around and play around with my friends. And like, my dad definitely didn't push me to do any sports. Um, he, he was very encouraging. And he wanted me to kind of, um, I mean, from my perspective, it seemed like he wanted to, you know, wanted me to do my best and wanted me to love something that he loved as well. Um, and um, I didn't at that time love it as much as he did. And, and, you know, I'd actually get upset, you know, I mean, like I would always get upset if I felt like I let him down, but he was, you know, like I said, he was really encouraging. And whenever I decided to actually leave track, he was, he was supportive, you know? Um, so, but uh, it's kind of funny. Like, I think if you asked me then if I would ever be where I'm at now, I would have like, I would have died laughing because it just so much was not a part of my life, but I'm very thankful that it became because beyond just doing it for myself, like, you know, I really feel like, 
Um, it's brought my dad and I closer together. And it's really fun to have someone in the family do it with you because you can talk about it and not just get head nods at the dinner table, you know? But <laughs> <laughs> well, the high school track actually is where I first started getting impressed with Lindsay's not, not only her, her athletic ability, but, but I'd say her mental capacity for, for endurance sports. Uh, we, we have a, 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 we had a smaller girls track team. So uh, on occasion there would be no one to run the two mile and Lindsay would volunteer to run the two mile and without much distance training. She, she did well in it. And I, I was like, I was like, cool. You know, she's volunteering to do the two mile as the only girl from the track team to, you know, to run the event. I actually liked it, which I know I wasn't, you know, I wasn't super gifted at it cause I wasn't training for it. But um, yeah, I think, I think that's never, I realized that I kind of liked the longer stuff. Cause I was also doing the 400 and I wasn't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you remember dad, how good I was, but I think I remember being okay at it. Um, but I didn't like it. I hated it actually. I just think I would dread, I would dread doing it because it's just so much pain. <laughs> I mean, but it's a different kind of pain than just, you know, lesser pain over a long amount of time. Like that's more enjoyable. Actually, that's really enjoyable to me for some reason. <laughs> but then after, after college, she literally became a Forrest Gump. Um, you see where these big breaks as a little kid. And then after college, you know, she's sending me these messages about, you know, not only winning the women's division in 5Ks and 10Ks, but in some instances being the the uh, top overall runner, if I remember correctly, right, Lindsay? Yeah, for for some races, yeah. Have you both ever raced together? Yes. Yeah. So, like, what what's how how does your does your personality, you know, like match? Are, are both of you like really competitive and fire each other up, or? Uh, is one more calm and you know keeps keeps the other composed. Like I can't imagine what it's like having two triathletes on the same roof. I mean, it must be crazy. <laughs> Lindsay's a smack talker. <laughs> I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what though? So are you. I got it from someone. <laughs> I inherited it. I learned it from you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's really fun uh, because. Uh, we'll get competitive with each other, especially since since there's three sports. It it makes it really interesting that you know I'm a I'm a better swimmer than he is, and I will always beat him in the swim, always. Um, but he's a way better cyclist, and he will always beat me in the bike. And to be honest, I think we're pretty evenly matched in running, or at least very close. So it becomes a very it, it, it you know it we'll like smack talk all three and kind of see, you know, like where we'll match up. Um, it's kind of a fun, fun dynamic. And it's definitely more, uh, uh, it pushes me in the race, especially during the swim. All I can think of is if he ever beats me in the swim, like my <laughs> life is over. <laughs> well, and unfortunately races aren't really weighted towards the swim. So that, uh, that isn't in your favor. I know. Trust me, I know. <laughs> but you know what? He's getting older every day. It, so. It's a war of attrition now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe someday I'll beat him on the bike when he's like 92. <laughs> That's great. It's just so fun that you guys have this uh, have this 
thing you get to do together. I think a lot of people would just love to have that. Yeah. It, you know, it, especially if I'm a nurse, he comes home where I go out there and, you know, you, you have a built in like automatic training partner who can do some workouts with you. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. All right. Um, let's, let's go back into the past a little bit again. Like Charles mentioned in the intro and you, you touched on it earlier um, about your eating disorder in your teens. Um, and you said in your email, at least, that it was one of the darkest times in your life. So talk to us a little bit about that phase, what was going on and what made it particularly tough. Yeah, actually, it was it was a little bit later than in my teens. It was pretty much age 19 all the way through college. Maybe a year after college was like the worst parts of it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I remember running and actually that's that's what stopped my heart for a second um was i was going for a run um around the loop and campus and i just passed out and um woke up to someone doing cpr on me it was like the groundskeeper and wow. you know it it was it was pretty it was pretty scary i mean like i it wasn't something where i was just like no this is fine like i was it got to the point where you know because it is a mental disease um where I became scared because I didn't want to lose any more weight and I didn't want to starve myself anymore, but I didn't really know how to not do that. Um, and I, I like almost couldn't do it. Um, so I went, um, I decided that I needed a little bit more help than just, uh, I saw, uh, I was a part of a group therapy and, uh, individual therapy and I saw a nutritionist on campus. I'm very thankful that my college, provided great mental health services um, for free for their students. Um, but um, for how severe I was, it just wasn't enough. So actually, um, with my mom's help, we researched and found an inpatient facility in Philadelphia called Renfrew. Um, that literally, I've, I consider that the true start of my recovery. And because, I mean, they it's, it's pretty intense. They like really force you into it. Um, but it's good because, you know, by doing and, you know, you learn it and, you know, you have all the staff and you're immersed in it all the time. And when I got out, like I still had a long journey in front of me, but I had a lot of the tools and it's funny, uh, exercise was not anything that was, um, a part of my eating disorder, which, um, I'm actually very thankful for because it can be. Um, and it became a very positive force in my life. Um, when I decided to start running, I actually wanted to perform well. And it caused me to stop looking at nutrition and food as calories and something bad that's going to hurt you and make you, you know, like, you know, it's like the enemy. And it started looking at the food as like, this is something that's going to make me faster. This is something that's going to fuel my body. This is something that's going to make my muscles recover. This is something that I need to perform. And you feel a difference, you know, it's like once you start eating, right, just like your first race where you might've taken nutrition for the first time, um, you feel the difference in your performance. And honestly, you know, you start to see, you start to look at your body, not by, how it looks, but by the things you can do and the things you can achieve. And you get this um, confidence in that, you know, that's something I love about triathlon is there's all sorts of body types and all sorts of backgrounds and all sorts of shapes and sizes out there on the course, but they're all killing it, you know? And, and it's like, I find that too, there's like this, this kind of 
silent confidence among triathletes because they kind of have that mentality, you know, I mean, athletes in general, um, because bodies are amazing. And sometimes it doesn't particularly matter what it looks like because it can do amazing things. And if you kind of change your mindset um, to something like that, it's uh, really empowering. And that's actually why athletics became so important to me um, because it, I don't know, it gave me like a whole new perspective on life um, and gave me new life. Um, and like, I mean, bare boning it, it kind of taught me how to eat again and brought me also enjoyment to food again, because let's face it, after you finish a long run, nothing <laughs> tastes better. <laughs> like, doesn't matter what it is. Like the moment you walk in, it could be like, you know, this like random cracker and it's still the most delicious thing you've ever had. <laughs> it's it's post-race um, delicious food syndrome. Oh man, amazing. <laughs> and then you tell your friends, I had the best burger yesterday. It was so amazing. And then they're like, yeah, that place is kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's funny. Sometimes I'll eat it, you know, the next day. And I'm like, this wasn't as amazing as I remember. Um, which, I, to be honest, uh, actually, uh, recovery from anorexia is very similar because you're so hungry all the time that actually you have to relearn what your food preferences are. Because it, it's like eating after a long run every time. You know, it's like I found out like, oh, I actually don't like some foods that I was obsessed with. Huh. You know, it's really eye-opening. Um, it's, um, but uh, I'm, very, I'm very thankful that I went through that in my life because I feel like um, it's made me a much stronger person. And, and um, I, I still reference it in my head when I have hard training days or a race because honestly, um, I'm like, nothing is harder than going through a recovery from an addiction. And I, I keep reminding myself, like, if I got through that, like, I feel like I can do anything. Like, I can finish this race. I can push past the pain um, because I've already been there. Yeah. And, you know, actually, I have a question uh, when you said, you know, like, obviously, you have to all this sort of recovery period, right? Yes. And then, and obviously, I mean, at that point, I think your body is still very weak. Uh, you don't have, like, m proper m uh, muscle mass or anything like that. And suddenly you decide to run a marathon. <laughs> and not only that, but just you, you finish it in a time that even myself, I'm not saying that I am Usain Bolt, but <laughs> hey, uh, I've done a couple of them. And hey, I think four hours, I was like, yay, four hours. But you did it in three hours and something just out of the spot. No? So I was just wondering, like, how was the process of getting from A to B? Um. It, it was a longer process than that. It wasn't like I got out of, you know, Renfrew and I was like, I'm going to now run a marathon. It was, I found so much joy in running in my recovery um, that, you know, by nature, I just started running longer and my mom and dad were already doing half marathons. Um, and they just invited me to do, it was actually rock and roll in Arizona. And they're like, oh, we're doing this. Like, you know, like, you know, your mom and your dad are doing it. Like, do you want to do it too? You're already running like five Ks. And I was running like five miles almost every other day. And I mean, that's just, I mean, I'm not just saying like, oh, it's just double. Well, it's a little more than double it. But you know, if, if I can do that, it's like I was doing six miles. Sometimes I'm like, I feel like it's attainable. You know, it felt like after I finished a run, turning around and going back, wasn't an impossible thing. Um, so, you know, I was lucky. I wasn't like coached you know, like officially then, but my dad has a lot of knowledge. And, um, so he wrote me like a little training plan 
um, that kind of worked with my life. And I just kind of did that every day. And at that, at that point I was, you know, eating enough and yes, I didn't have a lot of muscle, but I did train, I think for, it was a while, maybe like five months before, before my first half marathon and, um, crossed the finish line there. And it took me, it wasn't immediate. It took me a little bit longer after that. I might've run maybe another half marathon. I'm not even sure before I decided to jump up, but I had so much fun doing the half that I was like, you know, a marathon is just something that I really want to do. And again, with my, with my recovery, I just felt like, you know, it would be a celebration. I even told my mom, I remember, I was like, you know, if I finish this, it'll really mean that I'm, I feel like that I'm actually there. So, and actually I was, to be honest, you know, because I, I, you know, I, I was anorexic, but I also, um, switched between binge eating disorder. Um, so I kind of have both. And right after I got out of Renfrew, I was kind of in that mode for a little bit before I got recovered to that. So actually whenever I ran that marathon, I was actually, um, I was a lot heavier um, than I am now. Um, I think by like 30 pounds. So, I mean, a lot of it wasn't muscle, but I had enough time. Like maybe if, let's see here, I ran that marathon maybe in 2010. So it was about two years under my belt of, um, you know, on the road to recovery. Um, so I wasn't, I wasn't as, <laughs> as frail as, a as it may sound. Um, but yeah, I put in, I put in a lot of work. I trained for that marathon. You know, I, I think I started like, it was definitely a good amount of time, maybe six, eight or six months prior. I, I started to get serious about it and focusing in. And I was living in New York city at the time. It was really fun to explore the city and it was really motivating to get out there and just do it. And I felt really good after I ran and it gave me something else to focus on too, besides like, I just graduated college and I need to find a job. And um, also I'm like trying to like get my health back because, you know, I have to put in so much work every day to make sure that, you know, I'm doing what I need to do to not go back to my, you know, eating disorder tendencies. Um, it gave me something else to focus on, which was actually really good. <laughs> so I have a question kind of follow up to that. And just maybe Guy, you can talk, speak to what was it like for you to watch your daughter struggle her way through this? You know, it, um, I realized that she had a, uh, a serious problem whenever she was home uh, one time visiting from college and, you know, my, my son was here and I, I you know, I think it's, it is uh, harder for men to relate to, you know, um, to eating disorders than it is, is for women. And, Lindsay uh, skipped dinner, and instead of eating dinner, she went down and ran on the treadmill. And um, and you know I was upset with her, and um, you know she she was way underweight. So I remember my my son and I just like yelling at her to to just eat. You know we didn't understand why you know if she was so thin, why she wouldn't just eat. You know not understanding what the uh, what the underlying issues were, but, um, it, you know, it, it's very difficult to, to watch one of your children kind of, you know, literally wither away. Yeah. It's a long sort of insidious disease to combat. Right. Hmm. So do you have any kind of in, either one of you have any insight or advice for either people or family members, um, struggling to, to get through this point? 
I, I actually do. Um, first off, books are your friend. Um, one of the most amazing things, uh, actually two things I, I want to bring up that uh, my mom did at the time was the first thing she did is she just started buying books on it. Um, because, you know, she wasn't an expert, obviously, you know, like she never had an eating disorder. Um, and she researched. And in doing that, she kind of learned, I think the biggest things is, you know, like, like your gut reaction is like my dad, which is like, just eat, like, what's your problem? Like, why is that so hard? Like, just, you know, just eat the food. <laughs> like That's obvious to most humans. But really, um, the best way to handle, um, I think, Someone who, you know, if, if a loved one or a friend is suffering from some sort of eating disorder is to just open communication and be very loving towards them, you know, like, like you can check in on them and ask them how they are and legit be interested in listening to them and really how their feelings are. Because the thing is about eating disorders is it's not about the food. It's actually not about weight loss. It's it's kind of like those are the symptoms of the disease, but the disease is really it goes deeper than that. And usually, it has to do with emotional trauma, or um, a lot of times, um, it has to do with not being able to handle feelings or certain emotions, um, or feeling like you're too sensitive a person. Like there's, you know, it's different for everyone, but there's a common thread where a lot of people um, I know that I was an inpatient with, including myself, it's not that we necessarily really wanted to be thinner. You know, I never like wanted to look like a model or anything. It's just starving yourself or, or binge eating or bulimia or anything. Um, it, it like, it's like taking Tylenol. It like, it like alleviates the pain that you are dealing with. And so really, if you look at it that way, if you can extend a very loving hand to that individual and, you know, not be like, just eat, but really be like, how are you? How are you feeling? Like, how are you today? You know, I'm here for you. You know, I care about you. Um, that goes a lot of a further way than, um, than you may think it is. Um, but also there's so many good books out there about, you know, the psychology of it. Um, that's very helpful. I think in, in actually in one of the books that my mom read that she shared with me, I actually still own it. I'm like looking at it right now in my, in my bookcase, in my house. Um, it talks about how the eating disorder is very much like you're drowning in a river and there's lots of rapids and you don't think you're going to survive. And it's really terrifying and scary and your anxiety is really high. And then you find this, this log that you can hold on to and stay afloat. And you're so thankful for it. Um, but eventually, you know, if you keep holding onto the log, you'll never get out of the river. You know, you'll probably still end up dying in some way because you won't ever actually get to shore. You'll have to let go and swim to shore at some point. And the eating disorder is like that log. It saves you at one point um, from whatever you were dealing with. Um, but in the long run, if you keep holding on to it and not letting it go, um, you'll drown and you have to kind of, a lot of people need help to learn how to be able to let go of that and swim to shore. Uh, I feel like that's a really good um, analogy. Yeah. <clears throat> I really credit, you know, I also give a lot of credit to endurance sports and especially to triathlon in, in helping to turn Lindsay around it. I, that's where, 
you know, I, I don't know a lot of, of what Lindsay went through personally, but I could tell a big difference with her whenever she became competitive in these endurance sports where it became important to, you know, how, how, how does my body react or, or uh, how do I make my body strong enough to do the next workout? You know, so you got to focus on, you know, recovery and, and nutrition and how do I make myself faster than the girl that I, that, that beat me in the last race, which, which Lindsay gets these little grudges. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, so, so she will usually pick somebody out at a race that for some reason made a comment to her about, you know, being fast or, or something that rubbed Lindsay the wrong way. So then all that Lindsay wants to do is beat her, you know? So you know, it, it really was a turnaround to where I could see Lindsay focus on how am I going to make myself stronger and faster? You know, and I, I, I saw her physique greatly improve, um, you know, get this nice uh, athletic, you know, you know, build to her and, uh, and focus on becoming, well, focus on what, what makes me faster, you know, rather than just pushing it to the side and not eating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, there's a reason why. Um, so my training partner, Wit, he's also who I'm pitching the adventure racing show with. Um, we connected because he is a recovered alcoholic and he was in, I mean, he was bad. He was in a hospital in a coma because of his alcoholism. And he also found recovery in sports. And um, he kind of started this little program in his AA where, you know, he takes out, you know, people who are just starting to get recovered or, you know, who are in AA to do like mud runs and stuff. Um, because there's a lot of evidence, you know, beyond just like myself and my training partner that, you know, having these goals and giving yourself a purpose, you know, beyond just like trying to get through a day. It's like, I don't know, that's kind of intimidating. Like, especially if you're just floating around, if you wake up every morning and you're like, well, I have to do a run so that I can do this race and you have a purpose, you know, and, and also you, you get this confidence and um, it, it gives you like this whole new kind of purpose and outlook, a healthy outlook on your yourself and your body and what you're capable of. And, and a lot of that uh, too, it allows you to focus a lot of the, the things that were seen as bad in your disease or disorder into something positive. Like for example, I was really OCD and I loved numbers. I was always counting numbers. How many calories is in this? Like I wanted to control everything. Does it sound familiar to any triathlete? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, um, now I get to look at, okay, so like, what's my wattage? Like my, what's my pace? Like how many you know calories am I going to eat to fuel my body during this run? Like it, I, I actually attribute those qualities that I was just putting into a very negative part of my life. Um, into I refocused it into something very positive. And I feel like there's a common thread in that with people, you know, who have had struggles or addictions um, of any sort um, that I found um, that kind of I actually, to be honest, I attribute a lot of that to being a good athlete. Um, I just had to find the right path and how to focus my energy in, in a good way. So, so I got to tell this quick, funny little story. Lindsay and I, our, our first 70.3 we did together, I believe it was our first, Lindsay, was, uh, was Ironman Kansas 70.3. Yes. And, um, you know, so, so we're all 
jacked up because we're doing our first 70.3 together. And I come off, I come out of the swim and onto the bike and I picked up a small piece of glass in my tire and I got four flats. Um, I was out of the race within the first five miles. I kept, I kept changing the flat. You know, the piece of glass was so small. um, I couldn't see it, you know, you know, out there in the race course. So I went through my two spares. I had people, you know, throwing spares to me. Oh. And so I was out of the race. So, so I go back to the, um, I go back to the transition zone and the run course. There was, was one of those run courses where you could see your, your runner like, like six time or something like that, you know, doing the course of the run. It was, it was a great spectator course. So uh, Lindsay comes around and, She's, you know, I see her and she's not feeling very well, you know, and, and I can tell by her posture, uh, her running posture that, that she's, uh, that, that she's tired, you know, she's, she's hitting the wall. So, so I run over, I run across, you know, the course to, to get to her right before this one aid station. I'm yelling at her, drink Coke, drink Coke, you know, because to me, Coke is like the greatest endurance food ever. Oh, I agree. And, um, yeah, so, so she, uh, she drinks Coke at the next aid station. And the next time I saw her, she had a uh-huh. smile on her face, her posture was back, you know, and she's like, I feel great. You know, so oh my that, gosh. That, it was night and day. Night and day. That was her Coke lesson. The miracle. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was surprised because, you know, Coke, I'm like, what's in that? Like, that's going to help me. I, I don't even care anymore. Like it's, it's actually helped me twice in a race. It like gave me a whole new life. And you finished, you finished what third in your AG in that race and qualify for the world champs. Uh, yeah. Dad, do you remember if I was third or second? I was third in that race, right? I believe you were third. Yes. Yeah. I, I believe I was third. So I, I podiumed and yeah, and I qualified for the world championships, which was still in Vegas at that time because it was 2013. And you ended up with a fast run time as well. Yeah. I was actually really proud of that. That, that run time actually was this, basically the same time as my just half marathon time, you know, just running no, wow. no triathlon. Yeah, which is funny. I've actually haven't done a half marathon really since I started tri training. I'm kind of curious what my time is now. <laughs> So what you're saying is your success came because your dad pushed Coke on you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this sounds very nice, but yeah, I guess. <laughs> I wouldn't have known. And maybe I wouldn't have qualified. I don't know. In, in this instance, um, you guys all heard the old Coke commercials, you know, Coke and a smile. Right. Well, that Coke put a smile on Lindsay's face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you guys, you guys are going to need to get some kickback now from the Coca Cola company. <laughs> I know. I'm looking for more sponsorships. So, uh... There you go. <laughs> you, know, you know, you know, Lindsay's Lindsay's a much healthier eater than I am. I, you know, I eat uh, I eat my my healthy meals, you know, three times a day. But whenever I'm building up for an Ironman, the um, you know, as, as you guys know, it's difficult sometimes just to get enough calories in. So. You know, I, I, calories win. <laughs> I know. 
So, so I, you know, I, I pack in the junk food a lot more than, than Lindsay does between the meals. Oh, I have a great story with this. It's, it's my <laughs> favorite. It's my favorite story. I, so back in high school, I used uh, our family computer because, you know, we didn't have iPads or iPhones. I'm dating myself now. Um, back then, you know, we had like one family computer and it was in the kitchen and the kitchen, um, had a door that basically was to our backyard. So, you know, people who were coming in and out have to go through the kitchen and he just came back from a long ride and I was sitting there on the computer and I watched him come in. It was eat, a ride. Yeah. Eat literally a pound of bacon. Whoa. And I was like, Geez. And it was like right before dinner too. So I'm just like, Oh my gosh. Okay. And then, so he goes away for a second. And then he comes back to the kitchen and he eats like an entire sleeve of Oreos. And then he leaves. And I'm, I'm like, what is going on? He comes back and like eats potato chips. And then and a few Swiss cake rolls, you know, like the Debbie Swiss cake rolls. And then has dinner. So busted. Oh my gosh. And I was like, it just keeps going. I actually said something whenever he went back for the, um, for the, uh, for the Swiss cake rolls, I was like, I was like, um, <laughs> like, this, is this real? Are you sure? Like, we're going to eat dinner. He was like, I'm so hungry. <laughs> so they were having this local sensory ride that was supposed to, you know, supposed to be non-competitive. And then, um, so I'm, I'm sitting back in the, you know, in the, in the pack talking to some of my friends I haven't seen for a while. And I see these guys racing up the hill ahead of me. So I chased them down and then, you know, these guys, me with these guys, we raced the entire hundred mile ride. And yeah, I was, I, I could not get enough food in me after that, that ride. I remember that. <laughs> oh, yeah, we, we, we have very, very different eating habits. Like I'm very LA and, you know, I, uh, I eat superfoods and like raw vegetable, you know, pretty raw vegetable diet and lots of kale and you know I think really hard about like where my food is coming from and <laughs> my dad's just like we're gonna stop at Dairy Queen on the way home <laughs> I'm like, okay I'll just get the calories in hey I mean I'm not gonna lie Dairy Queen is delicious I don't blame you so if it works for you <laughs> I'm just jealous <laughs> I did not get those jeans unfortunately you know you mentioned the Coke story. Were there any? Was there any instance where Lindsay, you think guy got a little too involved, maybe, and didn't give you too much space to just do your own thing and do it the way you wanted, especially when you first started off, maybe? No, um, especially when I first started off. I, I, I'm not gonna lie, I was a little bit nervous at first, but I really wanted uh, a lot of advice, and I knew nothing, you know. And he obviously he's a total pro, so really. I was, in fact, even to this day, whenever we go to a race, like, you know, he's like, I'm doing this, this, and this. Like, I mean, like, I can obviously do it on my own now, but I just prefer to kind of follow his lead and really dig into that knowledge. And because, you know, I don't know everything. And especially back then, like, triathlon, I say, I, I always try and think back to it. Whenever I first started, even though it was a part of my family, it was very in, it's a very intimidating sport to get into because there's so many moving parts and there's so many things and it's expensive and then like even little things like how do i get my bike to a race what if i what if i'm racing in another country like you know it's like what do i do it's like how do i 
what do I have to do when I run longer than an hour? You know, do I take one goo? Like there's just so many parts and so much information. And, and I had this wealth of information at my fingertips. Um, and you know, a lot of it, 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 it was hard, especially being on another coast, you know, like I didn't know where to bike. I had no idea. Like in, in LA at first I was like, there's just traffic everywhere. Where do I go? You know, and I, I had to go to my local bike shop and just be like, guys, can you help me? I don't know what cyclists do, you know? Um, and you know, it would have been great if, you know, we lived in the same town or, or even the same state that then, you know, he could also be like, Oh, let me take you on some of mine. Um, there were still some things I had to figure out on my own, but um, I've always been very gracious and thankful for any or all the information, but um, he's, he is also good at stepping back, which I know is it's even hard for people who, you know, aren't my dad, you know, it's his friends, you know, knowing when to step back and just kind of like, let you kind of grow and blossom and learn and kind of do your own race as well. Yeah. It's, it's a balance, but I, I honestly feel like uh, my dad has done it very well. We, um, you know, we live in a, in a small town in, in Pennsylvania. Um, so there is no other Ironman in town. So I had no one to teach me about nutrition or to, uh, to tell me about what, what was, in store for me when I, I decided to do my, my first Ironman. So my first Ironman, I was, was Ironman Lake Placid. I, I bonked, you know, because I was a coach, you know, I was like thinking, yeah, I know what to do. I can coach myself. It, you know, big mistake. So, um, I coached myself and I bonked at about the 75 mile mark of the, or about the 80 mile mark of the, of the, uh, of the bike and I was able to recover from it. And then when I started the marathon, I got to the six mile mark of the marathon and I couldn't run anymore. And I kept thinking I got 20 miles to go, but then I'm thinking you came 120 miles already. You can't quit. You know, so whenever I had one of my children um, express interest in doing, you know, you know, triathlons and especially long distance triathlons, you know, I, uh, you know, I was, I was excited and I wanted to help any way that I could, that I had all this knowledge that I could uh, to give to, to one of my kids to get them started in the, in the sport. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm an entrepreneur. I started my own chemical company. So, you know, we, you know, I, I have the financial means, you know, to, to help Lindsay. And as, as you guys all know, triathlon is an expensive sport. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah. so whenever Lindsay decided she wanted to get into triathloning, you know, I was, I was helping her with, uh, with travel expenses because we have a lot of um, of award points and the credit cards at work, so I was I was helping her get to races and is it you know um, and also with her equipment needs and in addition to to some advice on how to get herself through the race. Well, that is certainly nice. <laughs> Actually, if you don't mind, I, I want to ask I want to ask a question that I realize I don't think I've ever asked my dad, but. Um, so, Dad, what what made you go into endurance sports in the first place? Like, what was it? Because it's not like you had anyone in the family and you were a wrestler. And I, you know, it's like, I mean, like I was, whenever I was born, like you were already doing like marathons and cycling and stuff, it felt like. Um, so it's just, I never actually, I never actually 
ask like how or why that all started and also like what it what does it do for you like you know like like why why do you wake up every day and do this well i discovered in um in junior high um uh, you know i, I we're a farming community, you know, so wrestling is a big sport here. You know, so I was wrestling. I started wrestling at the, I think, in fourth grade in school. And when I got into to junior high wrestling, we had, you know, we, we did run. We, we did like a mile run before practice uh, every night to, to help build endurance. So I discovered among the wrestlers that I was a better runner than most of them. I, I was usually, you know, if not the first, I was one of the, the first ones back. Uh, then in my sophomore year of high school, I broke my arm in a match, in a wrestling match, and uh, it, it was it was a clean break. It was kind of a bad break. So then I just I was not doing track at the time, so I decided I was going to go out for track in uh, my sophomore year in high school, and you know, and, and that's how I discovered that I was good at endurance sports. But everybody here knows what max VO two is. So when I went off to college. The uh, Human Performance Lab at Penn State was asking for volunteers out of the uh, phys ed classes. So, so I went in and had my max VO2 tested, and I was up in the 165 range. Wow. You know, so, so I knew I, you know, you know they told me all, right off the bat that I had a much higher, you know, max VO2 than the, yeah, than the average person. But, uh, but now it's, yeah, I'm, 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 a, uh, I'm a competitive person. I'm a you know, type A personality Admittedly, I don't do sports so much for the fitness, but you know, I love the uh, the competitiveness of it. I, you know, I got some competitive juices that that need released, and this is how I do it. And you know, and then and then the second part of it is after being in it for all these years, you know, there's a great community of friends that uh, that I've built up through through endurance sports. You know, primarily. Uh, triathloning and and the uh, and the Ironman distance races. Well, I guess there's no question uh, that that's a hereditary trait <laughs> that you have passed along. Good to know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, t- type A personality and high VO two max just like seems like perfect storm. Yeah, I know. And, and I can't sprint. I could never sprint very well. You know, Lindsay, Lindsay and Garrett both are, are good sprinters. I think they get that from their mother, but. I was never a good sprinter, but um, in, in, in track, I was, uh, you know, I was not a good 400-meter uh, runner, but as soon as we would jump up to 800 meters, I was one of the fastest one on the team. Built for distance. Exactly. Before we start wrapping things up, I uh, just wanted to talk about your crazy adventure racing TV show that you've got coming up called The Limit Show. Tell us about that. What sounds some, like something really cool. So what's that all about? Um, so basically, uh, myself and my best friend and training partner, Wit, um, it's, uh, he approached me with this idea, um, that he was going to pitch the show. And basically it's called the limit. And each episode is a different race somewhere in the world. Um, trying to find what's beyond the mud runs, what's beyond the Ironman, what's beyond the marathon, because although these are great feats, we all have known someone who's done them and people who have done them a lot like myself it's not, it's not that it's not challenging anymore. It's just that we know we're going to finish it. Now it's a question of like, how fast can you finish it? And we're trying to find the races 
that exist out there that are like the underbelly of the athletic community that really test your limit that you might not finish that like people might die doing, you know, for example, it's like the North pole marathon where temperatures reach sub 40 um, or uh, the Leadville borough race, which is a 26 mile trail run at 13,000 feet, but you're strapped to a thousand pound donkey the whole time. Um, <laughs> or, you know, or like the, the Norseman uh, triathlon in, uh, uh, I believe it's Norway, you know, or, you know, it's, there's sled dog races, you know, that these endurance sled dog races in you know the wilderness and they're, they're very like remote and they're very, um, you know, there's not a lot of like aid stations or anything. It's pretty much like you testing your own human limit and limit as an athlete. Um, and it's also a celebration of the athletes that do these kind of rare and different and strange races around the world. Um, uh, that, you know, a lot of these races people don't even know about and it's kind of cool. Um, and so, Basically, uh, Wit and myself and his friend Steven, each episode, we are going to compete in each one of these races around the world and kind of do a little bit of a, you know, a cultural history travel show around the race and also do the race itself and uh, hope we will survive. Um, but we're still in the pitching process. Um, we've pitched to um, a lot of different networks and we're still meeting with some. So we're in the very exciting stages of it. Um but yeah, we, we cannot wait to show it to the world. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's really great. If you're interested, I can I can uh, maybe someday show you the the sizzle reel after we're done pitching. Right. Um, it's a it's a pretty fun. It's like a it's like a trailer. Um, it's pretty fun, but yeah, it'd be great. All right. Um, are there any people you'd like to give a shout out to here? Oh, I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> Um, I guess I'll say hello to all the listeners and all my friends and families and loved ones who took the time to tune in. I wouldn't be here with probably each and every one of those people in my lives as it takes a village and a lot of support um, for someone to do endurance races. Um, it's extremely difficult to go at it alone. Um, so yeah, I'm very appreciative to all the people in my life. Awesome. And where can everyone find you online? Oh, yeah. Um, I am... You got chicked. It's you underscore chick. Uh, sorry, you underscore got underscore chicked. So there's this underscores between it on Instagram. Yeah, come follow me. I I would love uh, to, you know, for people to message me and say that you listen to this podcast and ask any questions that you want. I'm literally very fast to response. Guy, are you on Insta as well? Um, I am, but I'm not as. Uh social media savvy as Lindsay. So I can't remember what my, uh, what my Instagram name is. Do you know what it is, Lindsay? Okay, I can tell you. Uh, yeah. It's a uh, guy Burke. So it's G U Y B E R K. You're welcome. Dad. In fact, it's funny. My followers, there's some people who have contacted me who are like, I'm actually following you because I like following your dad. I've literally <laughs> had two people message me that, and I was like, yeah, because I post a lot whenever we're home, so it makes sense. <laughs> All right, our last question to the both of you, which you've kind of already answered, but just to sum it up, um, why do you try? Oh, my gosh. Uh, oh, so much pressure. There's reasons why I try. I try because it is such an important part of my overall mental health and 
Um, it brings me sometimes the biggest joy in my entire day is when I can go out and swim, bike and run. Yep. Love that guy. Okay, what about you? You know, as, as I stated earlier, I'm, I'm a competitive person and what I like about sports as opposed to the world of business is that in, in sports, you're more in control of your performance, um, you know, and the, and the result, you know, so triathlon gives me a, uh, an outlet, you know, to let out my competitive juices. And also, I, I mean, I love the community of people that, you know, um, I do not like hanging around smokers or heavy drinkers. And, you know, you, you don't find that among marathoners or Ironman triathletes, you know, so I really like the, uh, the, the community of people that I found. Yeah, and the lifestyle. Yes, it just definitely is a lifestyle. Absolutely. Awesome. All right, guys. That thank you so much for this. It was real fun. Thank you for both, you know, coming on and taking the time to do it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Bye bye. Yeah. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show and love the hot podcast, we'd love for you to head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Your review helps us out a lot and would be very much appreciated. Thank you all again for being a part of this community and be sure to join us again next week for another episode where we will bring you another amazing guest and story. Until then, my friends, keep trying. Keep trying.